So just a reminder pertaining to the background, the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark. And he's writing to what we believe to be a predominantly a Gentile church who is living under the rulership of the tyrant who is called Caesar Nero. So here in, the, in chapter 2, we are in the early aspects of Jesus' ministry. He has just started so far. He has been baptized. He has gathered his disciples and he has performed quite a few number of miracles. Similar accounts of Jesus healing the paralytic man, which we're going to look at um, at a greater extent tonight, can be found also in Luke chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 9. So Jesus is in Capernaum. And it is reported that he is home. And we are told that many came to see him. There's so many that the room was filled that you couldn't even get in by the door. Everyone is interested in this man named Jesus. For he did many miracles. He healed numerous people. And he taught, as we see in Mark chapter 1. Jesus' fame thus far is being built upon these different acts that he has performed so far. So in Mark chapter 1 verse 4, John the Baptist is baptizing people and he points them and his disciples towards Jesus. In verse 14, Jesus begins to preach. In verse 16, he calls his disciples to leave all that they have and come follow him. And of course, this would raise some sort of suspicion. A man named Jesus called you, and you leave your job, you leave your family, and you follow him. Also, we see in verse 21 that he is teaching and he delivers a man from an unclean spirit. So knowledge of Jesus and what he's doing is growing. Lastly, to top it all off, in verse 32, we see that the whole city of Capernaum literally brings all who are sick and who had demons for a healing. So this is why when Jesus returned home in Capernaum in chapter 2, many came to see and to hear him. His fame was growing. So Jesus' fame at this moment is growing. And many came, and this would also include the religious rulers, the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. And it states in Luke that they came from every village in Judea and Galilee and from Jerusalem to hear what Jesus was stating. At this point, it can basically be said that they were investigating the claims and the actions that Jesus was doing because they did not yet come to a conclusion what they would do with this man named Jesus. So one might think after so much evidence that Jesus showed his power, his authority, the miraculous works, that people would believe upon him. The area of Capernaum seemed to be where Jesus spent a large duration of his time. Even in Matthew chapter 4, it is reported that Jesus went to Capernaum, and the word there is not to visit, but to live there by the sea. And that's Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. So he spent a large set of his time here. So these people had Jesus' numerous miracles that he had performed thus far. They also, were, they also had Jesus' preaching and his proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. 
So just a side note here, many persons or many critics of the gospel say that the gospel of John and the gospel of Mark are actually, they speak of two different Jesuses. That John records Jesus stating that he is God. And we have a famous statement, John chapter 8, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. However, they would say that there is nowhere in the Gospel of Mark does Jesus ever say or make it claim that he is God directly to a crowd. However, we know that John's reason for writing the Gospel of John is that persons would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that this would lead to life. This is basically the thesis of the book. And John here is strategic in how he is writing. Well, Mark records works that happened. Mark records many of the miraculous works that Jesus did. The signs and the wonders. Works can actually be a greater witness of who someone is rather than someone stating their position or authority. A man who you have just met stating that he is a pilot in comparison to a man who you've not spoken to. But this man just landed the plane that you were on. The one who verbally says that I am a pilot, well, we, we could believe that, but the one who has just landed that plane, we have no choice than to say that man, that man is a pilot. His words bear witness of him without any introduction. I said all that to say this, that Mark record, records of Jesus' miraculous works bear witness of who Jesus was. Those in Capernaum had countless evidence, yet they were named as an unbelieving city in which judgment would come upon, even worse than Sodom. And we see it in Matthew chapter 11, 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. To be referred to as worse than Sodom lets us know the hardness of hearts that actually existed among these people, even though they gathered around Jesus. Many of them were recipients of grace. They were healed. They had... They were delivered from evil spirits. Many of them heard Jesus teach and preach, yet they remained in unbelief. So this brings us to our first point. God is good towards us, regardless of our sin or our state. The people of Capernaum were indeed truly blessed. Numerous miracles were performed, some of the best teaching ever since Jesus was preaching, they heard, yet they remained in unbelief. People come to Jesus for numerous reasons, and we know that in this world today. Just as the people gathered at Capernaum because Jesus was able to fix their temporal situation. Many come to Jesus when faced with difficult situations. They get bad news that they are sick and they come to Christ or they begin to go to church. 
they're studying and they possibly go to church that Sunday before that exam week or they attend a pray before pray before exams if their um, educational institutional does that they lose their job and now they want to recognize that God is a provider yet there is no love for Christ there's no turning from sin and no acknowledging that Jesus is Lord but they have temporal needs and they need it satisfied in this moment. So they gather around Jesus, just as the people at Capernaum did. We see God's goodness still in that he doesn't send them away. He doesn't chase them away because verse 2 states that the room was full. Jesus attends to the needs of those in Capernaum and continues to preach even though they are seen as a wicked city. Jesus attends to them, even though John tells us that Jesus sees man's heart and he knows what is in it. Likewise, Jesus cares for all types of people, even those who reject him and keep to their sin. This is why wicked men flourish, not because of their own intelligence, not because of dumb luck, but because God is good and he is gracious towards them. He does not give them what they deserve immediately, but cures for men temporal needs. If you are an unbeliever today, I am sure that you can agree with me when I say this, that your life might not be perfect, but you have a job. You have family and friends who love and who care about you. You might not be the healthiest person, but you have relatively good health, and you can provide for yourself and your family. This is God's goodness towards you, not just some luck. We get better than we deserve. We deserve God's wrath for our sin, but we get, or we have got today, to eat a Sunday lunch with our friends and our family and enjoy your company. We get much better than we deserve. God's grace towards our temporal needs is not based upon our goodness as if we have done something good to actually deserve it, but it's based upon his goodness and his mercy towards us. Examining verse three, we are told of a paralytic man who is carried by four men. Due to the size of a crowd, like they had to get him in via the roof. These men labored to get their friend to Jesus. Verse 4 says that they removed the roof above Jesus, or they removed a section of the roof above Jesus to let the bed down. These men believed that Jesus was capable of healing their friend. Possibly, they saw Jesus perform many miracles as he was performing the miracles in Capernaum. Possibly they heard about Jesus or they could have been recipients of the mercy that Jesus was extending towards persons. Whatever their experience, they had believed that this man called Jesus was capable of healing their friends. So they ensured to get him to get him to Jesus. So this brings us to our next point. Believer, do you believe that Jesus Christ can actually save? 
What these men believed informed how they acted in getting this sick man to Jesus. They believed that Jesus was able to help him. Therefore, they stopped at nothing to get him to Jesus. I don't believe that these men were believers. And even more, I, I don't believe that they had any understanding of atonement or regeneration. In comparison to them, we who are believers, we have so much more. We have a clearer understanding of the atonement, our regeneration. We have a clearer understanding of who Jesus is. Yet, at times, we fail to introduce men to Christ. We don't labor with our friends, our neighbors, so that they would know Jesus. We say things like, these people don't want God, and we ignore them and we write them off. Or, they were like that ever since. They would never change. Or even worse, we don't speak to persons who are in our spirit. We desire comfort rather than laboring in our different spheres with those who are unbelievers. One evidence that shows that we actually believe that Jesus is capable of saving sinners is by laboring to bring people to him despite the cost. We should be most joyful and eager to proclaim Christ because we know that Jesus' atonement is sufficient to save sinners. We experience it, right? We understand that being born again is the work of the Holy Spirit. And even that God has predestined all things, and this is inclusive of the Great Commission. So we will be successful. We would possibly agree that we have a better understanding, a better view than these four men. Therefore, we are without excuse. When we are slothful in our witnessing or our evangelistic efforts, or when we don't love our neighbors, if you truly believe that God is sovereign over salvation, that salvation belongs to God, that Jesus is able to save a wretch, as we sang this evening, then be meaningful in our efforts to introduce persons to Christ, just as these men moved mountains to get their friend to Jesus. They cured for him. The faith of these men who brought the paralytic man to Jesus was seen by him, and Jesus chose to forgive this man's sin. Reading this, this is seemingly a strange response by Jesus. Men came to Jesus for him to heal their friend, and Jesus forgives the man's sin. At that moment, he did not heal him, but he chose to forgive his sins. We then see a response by the teachers of the law in their hearts. This man blasphemed. For no one can forgive sins but God. In point number one, we observe the goodness of God towards our temporal needs. God is able to provide, he protects, and he's able to heal. God is still good to this man even though he's a sinner. This man, God's goodness towards this man is shown by this man having friends. This man being able to be provided for up until now, although he was paralytic. Even in our difficult situations, God is still giving us sinners more than we deserve. This man was in need of healing, and Jesus chose to give him so much more. Revivified men die again. Heal men get sick once more. 
But a man who sins is forgiven by Jesus. He needs no other mediator. You see, our sickness is a result of sin. And I'm not saying that all illness or all sickness is a result of a particular sin that we have done. But what I'm saying is, since Adam and Eve sinned, sin and death entered into the world. Jesus went past the temporal needs of this man and looked at the healing of his soul. Jesus asked the religious leaders, which is easier, to say that your sins are forgiven or to tell this man, take up your bed and walk? Jesus can forgive this man's sin because Jesus was going to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And Jesus can forgive your sin because he is a sacrificial lamb. He has gone to the cross. Place your faith in him. Jesus, we see God's goodness in how he cares for us temporally. But even greater than that, we see how he cares for a sinner's soul. Jesus is the only one who can save a sinner. Like the people of Capernaum, you might be one who chased the hand of God. You idolize things that he has given you. You think so much about the here and now and not, and you don't have eternity in view. And you reject Jesus Christ as Lord. You thank the Father with your mouth, at least you claim to do it, yet you act like he isn't Lord. You say things like, well, the Father knows, or the Father knows that I am trying, and you stay in your sin. God is indeed good, but this is true also of his justice. He who is good will always do that which is right. He will by no means overlook your sin. If he did, he wouldn't be good. Do not think that God's gifts towards you are evidence of the health of your soul. Saying things that God has given me this promotion, or God has given me this job or house and car because he sees the goodness or the pureness of my heart. He does see your heart, and rightly, your heart is sinful and is deserving of his wrath. Trust in Jesus, for he's the only one able to forgive sins. The only one because he has taken the penalty for sin. This is true beauty as we think about the goodness of God. That despite our sin, despite our rebellion, God has sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, to die for sinners. So repent and believe.